Hey, hey, King fans! I wanted to take a quick second to send some love and shine some light on a fellow Stephen King queen, and that is Deanna C., host of the Stephen King podcast, Chat Cemetery. Miss Deanna is working her way across King's works chronologically, so from Carrie to now, Deanna is regularly exploring the novels with rotating speaking guests to chat the books, the film adaptations, and everything King in between. Please check out more from Deanna and Chat Cemetery at chatcemetery.transistor.fm slash subscribe to hear more. That's chatcemetery.transistor.fm slash subscribe to hear more. Hey, hey, everybody, this is Kim C., and you're listening to The Year of Underrated Stephen King, where this fiction teacher explores the unmined gemstones of King's underrated writings, one story at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an extra special special interruption of our novel analyses, as well as the Apple TV Lisi story coverage we've been working on for the past couple weeks. I have been keeping this little episode secret and safe for about a month now, and today is the time to reveal this ultra awesome conversation I had with podcaster and YouTuber Deanna Chapman of the Stephen King podcast Chat Cemetery. So I've been wanting to dive into this topic for a really long time now, definitely wanting to open it up to the world for a little bit, so I thought having Deanna as a guest speaker would be the most perfect time to uh, get my shovel into the ground on this very large dinosaur fossil of a topic, which is the women of Stephen King. Yes, we're doing it. So for those of you who have listened to the podcast for a while, you know I love, 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 love deep diving into the symbols and metaphors surrounding not only characters in general, but specifically the strong females within King's world and exploring why and how they're victims, how they are victors, and of course villains. I think there is so much in this arena, guys. So many layers and areas to explore. And I love, 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 love this topic so much. I love it so much. I actually am planting a few sproutlings, seedlings about potentially hosting a panel on this very topic that maybe I could present at a comic book convention, at a reader slash fan convention, because I am obsessed with it and could blab about it for hours. So yeah, I think uh, we're gonna maybe put that in the stew pot and see what happens. But it is with great pleasure today that I got some extraordinary assistance scratching the surface on this juggernaut of a subject with the fabulous Deanna Chapman. So if you are unfamiliar with Deanna, she is incredible. I am such a fan of her work. She is super plugged into all things King, all things pop culture, and in addition to all the cool things she has coverage on, she's incredibly deep and has a very strong perspective on the works of King, on what makes a compelling story, a layered character, and what is 
overall a worthy dissection of literary art. So love Deanna and she and I in addition to this conversation recently recorded some thoughts on the last Bill Hodges novel in the trilogy, the Bill Hodges trilogy of which begins with Mr. Mercedes, the secondary follow-up is Finders Keepers, and the last is 2016's End of Watch. So Deanna and I had a really fun time talking about that final novel in the trilogy, so please jump over to Chat Cemetery and check out our conversation on that particular work. I'm going to have links in the show notes. But before you head over to Chat Cemetery, please listen to this wonderfully rich conversation Deanna and I have regarding the female characters within the Stephen King universe. So before we head that way, just a quick PSA. There are a few spoilers to be found as we are going to be kind of hopping around, skipping here and there to various King works, specifically some of the more vintage ones. So please tread carefully, my guys. I think we did a decent job of not being overly explicit regarding concrete details in terms of ultimate character outcomes, but please be cautious. In particular, Deanna will be discussing Jesse from Gerald's Game, Carrie White from Carrie, and touching on Beverly Marsh from It. And my top top three females explored in this episode are Nadine from The Stand, Charlie from Firestarter, and Rosie McClendon from Rose Matter. And I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, of course, knowing myself, I most definitely have some honorable mentions of the queen badass herself, Lacey Landon. (laughs) So if any of those novels or female protagonists, if they are not familiar to you, if their novels are not familiar to you, please be cautious heading into this episode. We don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But if you are, in fact, a constant reader and uh, you're ready and you're good, let these hearty logs be thrown atop your campfire. So, dear listener, please lean in closer and join Deanna Chapman and myself as we discuss the first of hopefully many further conversations down the road on The Women of Stephen King. Welcome, Deanna, to the year of underrated Stephen King. And Deanna, you are hostess with the mostest of Chat Cemetery and a couple others. We've got a YouTube channel. So I know usually people start with all of their accomplishments, or pardon me, they end with their accomplishments, but we can start with yours. So what do you have going on, Deanna? Always so many podcasts because <laughs> I work on podcasts as a way to make money. And then I have, as you mentioned, Chat Cemetery and another podcast called Welcome to Geekdom, where I basically talk about anything and everything that isn't Stephen King related. And my YouTube channel is kind of a play on both of those things. It's been heavily comics focused, but I recently did a trailer reaction to the upcoming Lisey story on Apple TV+. Plus. So I just really enjoy making things, whether it's podcasts or videos. 
Fantastic. And we both really like Stephen King, which makes me very happy uh, connecting to the females in this uh, Stephen King podcast game. It makes me really happy that um, the majority of us are incredibly rad. So I'm so thrilled to finally get some talk time with you because I'm a big fan of yours. So I'm just I appreciate that. I'm just gonna um, let you see my nerd card right away. I'm like, oh, it's Diana from Chat Cemetery. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of the work you do, and I'm so excited you're here. And uh, I was thrilled when Deanna reached out and wanted to get together, and so the only subject in my heart that I really wanted to put forth was the women of Stephen King. I've been dying to talk about it with other Stephen King ladies. And so Deanna has uh, three that we is uh, that she's got in her pocket that she's going to talk about. And I have a few myself. But uh, because you brought up the uh, subject of Lisey's story, before we get started on the women of Stephen King, I just, I am so excited for the show, Deanna. Are you excited? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I love that Julianne Moore is returning to the Stephen King universe because she was in the 2013 Carrie movie. And I really just am excited for the high quality production as someone who is going through chronologically. I have watched some very bad movies, (laughs) lots of great TV shows. And even if story-wise this isn't perfect, I know it's at least going to look good, which I am very thrilled about because I think they can do a lot of very interesting and creative things with this story in particular. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. I am a big fan for production design, setting, costumes. I will let a lot of ills slip through the cracks if uh, it's looking cool. So I feel you on that. And this is such a weird book. Like Lisey's story for me is such a outlier work. It's really experimental for me. It's it's an oddball, I think. It's very good for discussions. And I'm excited to see how King bring how close he is to his own text because I'm excited that he wrote all the episodes. Yeah. So we will see. I'm excited to do some coverage on that. But uh let's kick us off with one of the questions. So um, if you could remind me which Stephen King females you would like to discuss today, or the first one you would like to chit chat about, with our first question, well, my first question is, of course, do you have either one or top three favorite Stephen King females, and what is it about these ladies that are meaningful to you? With this, it was actually a really tough question because first I want to give a shout out to Beverly Marsh from It because she's a fantastic character. But there are a lot of women in King stories who really stand out. And I went ahead and picked three that I think had at least one thing in common with each other. And that's Carrie, Charlie from Firestarter and Jesse from Gerald's Game. In each of their stories, these are characters that just inherently feel so alone. And I thought that was something that 
ended up being a really interesting parallel. And you have some other parallels between Carrie and Charlie with the fact that they have powers, whereas Jesse doesn't. But there's just something that you can really dive into with each of these characters. And I didn't plan it this way, but they're all of varying ages, very much so. So that kind of plays into why I wanted to talk about these three in particular as well. Very cool. Very cool. I love those choices quite a bit. I haven't yet read Gerald's Game or Carrie um, because I've been doing the, I've been working backwards a little bit, sort of jumping around the underrated works. Um, even though I know Gerald's Game isn't that, I don't know, since Flanagan made the movie, it's become quite popular. But um, those are two ladies I'm very interested in because I definitely know that Carrie is a very big victim, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. So excellent. Um, the To answer this question myself, I also had a very difficult time choosing. Um, and one, I don't know if it's fair because I technically haven't read this work yet, but maybe you have. Um, the one that I did want to discuss out of sheer curiosity, because I do know a little bit about her character, is Nadine from The Stand. Yes. So she's pretty intriguing to me. And granted, it isn't, you know, I it's not quite fair because I haven't finished the novel, but I do know a lot about her. Um, and then the second one is uh, Rosie McClendon Daniels from Rose Matter. And then my last one is, of course, Lisey from Lisey's Story. And what I, unlike... What you did, which is kind of bridge them all together in this wonderful kind of connection sandwich there, um, I picked them based on their uh, kind of differences. With Rose McClendon Daniels, she's definitely our victim. She's the one who's sort of broken, which we see a lot in King Works. And then with Lisi, she's definitely our underdog uh, widow, uh, much seasoned and older in years. And so with Nadine, she's uh, a little bit younger. And so I see her as kind of maybe incorrectly villainized, maybe also a victim, um, but yet uh, she's one who I think is greatly misunderstood. And if you remember from, oh gosh, I I wanted to pull in Game of Thrones, but um, for just a second, (laughs) um, they typically always mention Mother, Maiden, Crone, and we Mm -hmm. see the three uh, in females quite a bit um, in literature, in mythology. And so I kind of saw the mother made in Crone with Nadine um, as well as Lisi and Rosie. Uh, and then I can see them in your picks as well. So I'm nerding out and talking a little bit too much. But um, number two uh, with the ladies that you picked, what is something regarding either the three you picked or the females in general that you wish King would maybe explore or put forth to a greater degree with female characters that he either hasn't or doesn't do very well or? Yeah, so because this is a character that really kicked off his career and because she's a teenager, teenagers are complex people you know we were all there at one point and a lot of 
struggles come between not agreeing with your parents. And I think he handled that really well with her character. I would have loved to see him dive into Carrie's psychology a little more there because with each of these characters that I picked and even the ones you picked, there's a lot going on in these ladies' heads. And I feel like King is so good at character work in general that with the three characters I picked feeling so alone, I wish he would have been able to dive into that just a little more, you know? And I think one thing that he did do better as he started writing more and more female characters is that not all of them are coming from a place of weakness necessarily. You know, Carrie is bullied. She's picked on. She gets her period and has no idea what's happening to her. So the other girls make fun of her and she's not a character who is like a strong willed character at the beginning, but she does get there by the end. It's just, you know, there's an unfortunate, tragic ending with her character, especially in the book. You know, the movies change things here and there because there have been four Carrie movies, which is kind of crazy to say. But, <laughs> you know, there are different endings for some of them. And I just really think with Carrie in particular, there's a lot that you could still dive into with the character and it could be even just us as readers diving into that ourselves and sort of coming up with these ideas of what we think of Carrie's thought process and why it's happening that way. And you obviously do get those clues throughout the story too, which I do enjoy. Absolutely. I really do intend to read Carrie because it's essential King, of course, but I think my heart is already like so broken because I know she is someone who goes through so much, bless her, and is just, um, and so I think an example of Carrie and Rose Matter, Dolores Claiborne, uh, and maybe even Jesse, because I think there is some sexual abuse with the character of Jesse, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. I think that King writes the victimization of women in a heartbreakingly, disturbingly real way. And that loneliness that you talk about is so paramount. Oh my gosh. The loneliness, the brokenness. I think he he paints women as victim very, very well. And on the occasion, we do get, like with Carrie, get that vengeance of the broken in these women. Like, especially with Rose Matter um, or Rosie Daniels, she completely has this metamorphosis into somebody who's stronger, braver, bolder, but they're all so broken. And so victimization is a big thing with women in King's work for sure. Um, However, I'm so glad you mentioned Beverly, Beverly Marsh from it. She is such a totem, I think. Uh, she really stands out as someone kind of different because she is very, she is very much a huge victim, victim of abuse, a victim of her father, a victim of her husband in the 1986 novel It. But she's also like this absolute precious, sacred person, um, mother, sister, girlfriend to the Losers Club. And so I, I wonder what it is about Beverly that kind of makes her stand out to female readers who read King quite a bit. What do you think? 
I think because she's like the one girl in this group of boys and she's really this sort of tomboy, but at the same time, it's like all the boys are kind of infatuated with her and it's just a very different dynamic than a lot of the other female characters that King has written over the years. I could totally see that. Definitely. I, I do think that it she shines a little brighter than everybody. Um, well, they all shine really bright for sure. But like you mentioned, because she's the only girl um, in in their world, she, she definitely glows very bright for sure. Now, um, on the same piggyback of the young woman in King's work, we got to talk about that little sweet pyromaniac or not pyromaniac <laughs> pyrokinetic precious little charlie um tell me your thoughts on charlie because she's so much younger than a lot of the characters that king has written and obviously you know there have been babies and young children and plenty of king stories but with a baby you can't really write them as well as you can a young child or a teenager in carrie's case and with charlie you know, a lot of what is going on in Firestarter, she doesn't understand the big implications of it, but she understands what is happening to her and her mother and father throughout the story. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that in a way, these three characters all feel really alone. And obviously, Charlie has her father, but she is separated from him numerous times throughout the story and he can never really understand what she's going through with her powers because he doesn't have them himself and that's what I mean for Charlie in particular when I talk about a character who is sort of alone in <laughs> this specific struggle of hers and you really see how as time goes on throughout the story and, you know, this doesn't take place over a long period of time. There have been King books that have spanned decades within one story or just a few days or a few weeks even. And this is on the shorter side for sure. But for Charlie, you can imagine that it just feels like forever because she is a kid and because things are so much more heightened for her in that way. Totally. I... Charlie is a fire starter is one of those novels and Charlie's journey specifically where King does not allow her to age very much at all. Whereas with Dr. Sleep with Abra Stone, we go from birth to about 14 years old, but with Charlie, she's I think nine when the novel ends. So there is so much mystery there. And my next sort of question is if you would change any of the endings for your three female picks Honestly, I don't think so. I talk about King endings a lot on my podcast, and I really love the ending of the Carrie novel because you have this sort of last thing that happens and you're like, okay, that's great. Let's leave it there. We don't need to know more. With Charlie, you have this big explosive ending in Firestarter and things are just really chaotic. With Jesse, you know, you have this ending for her where it's sort of a sense of relief, but you can tell that 
this event has greatly impacted her. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm glad you said that, especially regarding Charlie, because Charlie's the one of those novels or the Firestarter. I am so curious about Charlie's journey. I am so absolutely always thinking about what happened to her and where she could have gone. But I do agree with you. I, I was happy with the way King ended it. It's such a heart punch because she is so young, so vulnerable, and at the end of Firestarter, really alone, very much alone, according to the reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't change it, but dang, I do wish we would have sequels, uh, prequels, sequels, anything, um, because Charlie's mom, I think it's for Victoria, Veronica, I forget her mom. She's also not in the novel for uh, a very long time. She's kind of exited pretty quickly. We don't get a lot of development with her. Um, But I want to kind of talk about my third question here. Um, When I believe you did go through a chronological read of King, correct? Yeah, for the most part. The only thing I didn't want to be crazy enough to do was to go through all of the short stories chronologically. Those I've just been going by the collection dates on those. So novel-wise, everything's been chronological to the best of my knowledge. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah, doing the short stories chronologically, oh my gosh, that would be a very tall order. So uh, I applaud that you didn't have to to go that that strict about it, although you probably would have got a lot of uh, round of applause for that. Um, <laughs> but um, having made your way through King chronologically, have you seen King females evolve for the better or kind of stay the same or evolve for the worst in terms of representation? I would say that actually across the board, King's novels have become more diverse over the years. He has certainly changed with the times. He will still have characters he writes who will do things like use the N-word and feel very white supremacist and things like that. But I think because he's writing them as a very specific kind of character, he's not just using the same language that he was in the 70s, you know, in his 2010s and now 2020s novels. It really feels like he has progressed enough with the times that I think his female characters have done the same as well. And, you know, I am in the midst of the Bill Hodges trilogy. I haven't completely caught up here. I'm actually reading The Bazaar of Bad Dreams right now, but then I will be reading I will be reading the third Bill Hodges book and Holly Gibney is a character who I think really touches on the aspect of mental health and you have seen him put his female characters through hell throughout his decades of writing. There's no question about that, but I think he's also done a better job of having female characters who come from a position of I'm going to do this thing because I want to do it. Whereas if you look at Carrie, she's reacting to being bullied. Charlie is reacting to people wanting to take her. They are very reactionary at the 
beginning of his works. And I think, you know, you have a character like Beverly who that, you know, it is still very early in his works, but she's more a go getter. We're going to do this. We have this plan, you know, we're a bunch of kids and we're going to stop this crazy clown. And, you know, I think over the years he's leaned more in that direction with a lot of his female characters. I love that. I think you nailed it and hit it on the head. I think the sensitivity toward the female has increased over time. And we see that most definitely with Holly Gibney. I just read um, If It Bleeds last summer. And she has a really wonderful standout uh, novella in there. And from where she is in the Bill Hodges without – I don't want to spoil it for you. But let's just say it's a very refreshing Holly Gibney. Um, Yeah. She is she she seems to get stronger and stronger. And I think King is really allowing the readers to see her healing and her strengthening, which is really cool. And I really am kind of glad to see that, too, where at first I was just sort of focusing on the why does everyone like Holly? Like, I wasn't getting it. I, I <laughs> kind of wasn't getting it. I was like, I don't get it. Like, she's OK. She's fun. But. I really, after I read If It Bleeds, I was like, okay, I, I'm on board. I really do understand that there's a lot going on with this lady. And I I was perplexed as to why we kept getting so much installments with her. But then I'm like, no, keep them coming because she's she is somebody who has battled a lot but overcome a lot and that's huge and I love that you said the word reactionary to early king females that's so perfect but now we kind of have um them taking control recovering and that's I think what I've also noticed uh in contemporary king times is he's giving them time on the page to heal whereas we would have like the brutality and the trauma and then it would they would either get revenge, which was awesome. It's always awesome when he allows the victimized female to have revenge. But then um, now I think we're seeing, especially with the Holly Gibney character, with Lisi and Lisi's story, we're seeing these ladies who have undergone a lot of trauma, who've gone through a lot, and they're getting a lot of time on the page to kind of show the reader a, look at how strong I I really am, like, and I'm realizing this strength. And B, like, look what I can do now. Look, look who I can grow to be, which is really cool. Um, so is there any uh, w- do you feel that King would ever maybe do? <laughs> I know this is kind of a hot topic. I haven't read um the Gwendy novels with Richard Chismar, I think um, that features someone who's like full figured or plus size. But do you think we could ever get like a body positive female in King's work? Is that like too woke for him? Do you think? You know, it's hard to say because you have a novel like Under the Dome where there are so many different types of female characters in that story alone because it's about this whole town and you know the way that they were portrayed in the tv show which i don't know how much he had to do with that it's not like they were all stick thin of course you know your main characters are for the females but there were plus size women in that there were older women in that and i think 
it's really dependent on, you know, who he chooses to focus on in future books. And I'm not caught up completely, you know, I, like I mentioned, I'm on the Bizarre Bad Dream. So I also haven't read the Gwendy's stories, but I know they have a third installment and King is returning to that with Richard Chismar, who did the first one with him and then went solo for the second one. And now, you know, with King returning, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think King is in a place where he's very accepting of all kinds of people, unless they have politics that he vehemently disagrees with, which, you know, that is certainly understandable. He's been very vocal about that. He has not shied away from mentioning how much he dislikes Trump and a lot of his followers. So that is something that also really comes into play a lot in his novels are his politics. And I think sometimes that flies under the radar a little. But to touch on something else real quick, if I may. Of course. I would also love to see King have more female villains. Oh, yes. Because when you think about a novel like Misery, or even touching on Dr. Sleep again with Rose the Hat, I just really enjoy when it's the females who are like the villains of the story. Because a lot of times, you know, there have been plenty of supernatural villains like Pennywise. You have the Overlook, which you could say is the villain of The Shining and really a big character in that novel, even though it's a place. But I would really love to see that a little more from him. Love it. Couldn't agree more. Um, I know, I think it, I might be confusing with another King Lady I was talking with recently. My apologies. But did you do a Duma Key read? Yes. Okay. Because if I'm... Did you feel that the uh, villain in question for Duma Key is female? I mean, yeah, because it's sort of this female ghost presence, or at least that was kind of how it felt like it was presented. Gotcha. Because, yeah, I've talked with a few Duma Key people recently because that's a it's become a super big favorite of mine. It's definitely, it's in my top 10, but it might be in my top five here in the next few years. I'm not sure. But I love that villain so much. Um, And the fact that it is dealing with like the dark feminine, a dark goddess, a dark sea entity, goddess, monster thing. I loved it 10 times more when, as you said, it was presented as female. So I couldn't agree more. I think that I just read Misery for the first time a couple weeks ago, and I was noticing how it did feel very different uh, reading it in the 2020s uh, in, or, in regards to the public perception of mental health. Because even though Annie Wilkes is in fact terrifying, and she's a total euphemism for cocaine, um, I, I still kind of pitied her, and I think maybe in the 80s, we might not have pitied her. So I'm wondering if like what a King villain today would look like, um, like what would make them really, really compelling uh, aside from being victim turned monster. Um, you know, is there a way we could do like a human 
victim without pitying her or does it have to be full-on supernatural like rose the hat that's a very very good question because i think king is so good at character work he could honestly make a lot of different types of characters work and i would love to see him dive into that a little more because you know even though rose the hat was this supernatural character and i didn't find myself pitying her really at all it's like you ate a child you got what you deserve (laughs) you know so for me i think he will have that fine line between we understand why the villain is the way they are and you almost feel bad for them but then some of his villains are just so hard to feel bad for because of how terrible they are you know having just recently read mr mercedes and you know with brady it's like okay clearly his mother did things to him that are really unacceptable terrible things but the way he reacted you stop feeling bad for him almost instantly you know this is a guy who wanted to kill a dog and you're like no 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 we don't yep. do that. absolutely oh yeah oh brady hartsfield yuck <laughs> oh. team holly yeah. gibney for sure there <laughs> absolutely yeah oh brady hartsfield is, is an icky one for sure and his mom i'm so oh yeah i'm so glad you uh mentioned uh him uh because you find out the mom is culpable for quite a bit, most definitely. So yeah, I think that it would be interesting to see what he could come up with that wasn't altogether supernatural where they're just irredeemably bad. We hate them from second one, but something more nuanced for the complexity. Um, Cause I think that's kind of what gives Annie Wilkes her power for sure. Um, but Rose the Hat, you're just like, okay, you're you're a child-eating vampire, death to you and all who follow you. Um, but yeah, somebody like Brady Hartsfeld's mom, I hated her guts. I did kind of pity uh, her journey uh, as, as it happens. Um, but for the most part, I was like, nope, you're pretty much garbage and uh, death to you. Um, so I think that that would be a cool and... Um, big challenge for today but i am hoping that we get a um a body positive king female out there one of these days that's just a that's on the biggest wish list ever to santa claus only because we've had such negative connotations with people of size throughout king's work forever um, um, and I think for the most part, like you said, he's toned it down a little bit. I think he's a little bit more aware of his audience and mm-hmm. he's not as cold and cutthroat. He's not as Richard Bachman, we'll say, as uh, as he used to be. Um, but I, I still that would be my biggest wish is if we had like um, a much different looking heroine who got treated exactly like uh, the leading lady, the traditional leading lady would be. Um, And so I think we're pretty close with Holly Gibney. It definitely gives me hope, but I think that we still have some ways to go with the king atoning for all the sins against uh, marginalized groups of people, for sure. 
yeah, he's definitely made some progress, in my opinion, on how he portrays characters, the diversity within his stories. And, you know, it's easy to pick out the characters who are different in King stories because they tend to have powers and things like that. But at the same time, you want to see these realistic differences and the diversity within characters, because even though, you know, a lot of his stories take place in Maine, which probably isn't the most diverse place in America by any means, you still have him going to other places. Like he has put stories in Colorado, for instance, which is where I am, and he has done really random locations like, you know, Children of the Corn and things like that. But I think because of the fact that most of the stories take place in Maine, he can't just make up what the demographics of Maine are at the same time, even though he is making up different cities and towns. Yeah, you're totally correct. And I I too applaud the anytime I want to like throw stones or be a brat about something and be really picky, I also have to remind myself exactly what you said of celebrating just how diverse of an author he really is in terms of the inclusion, who he represents, who he puts in the spotlight. Um, I forget that he's given us quite a bit. So even though I, I do uh, tend to focus on the negative hangups at times, as we all can, if that's the lens we're looking through, I definitely rem- I, I treasure the fact that he has um, given a lot of representation throughout his work. And it's not perfect by any means. And we can all, you know, critique as we do. But I am I am thrilled that we have um, the amount of diversity that we do. And I'm really excited because for my own podcast, I just started, I just finished drawing of the three and I am fascinated by the characters in this book. Mm -hmm. So, um, especially one, uh, a woman of color named Odetta, uh, Holmes, and then uh, Detta Walker, and then Suzanne. Oh my God, the, I my brain is. I'm kind of like popcorn, just thinking about how diverse and fantastic this this character is. But mm-hmm. um, so I did want to segue really quick because you are reading the Bazaar of Bad Dreams, which I just finished for the second time not too long ago, and I have. I am obsessed with that collection. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on it because it made me really excited when I heard you're reading it. I'm only a couple of stories in because I just started it, you know, a couple days ago, but Mile 81 is sure a hard hitting story to start with. I agree. Yeah, it is one that it is a very, very strong collection for me. I'm a very big fan. So I'm excited. We'll have to, well, you'll have to email me when you're all done and we can talk shop on your favorites because there's a couple in there that blew me away that I still think about to this day. And I gave it my little um, forever seal of approval. When I like a King short story so much, I always put a colored post-it note between the pages so I could go back to it and read it. And uh, that's that's sort of my my little golden star that it gets. That's something I should do with these collections because, you know, I'm 
talking about them as a whole for the podcast because I'm not singling them out. And so I tend to talk about the ones that ended up getting adaptations and things like that. And obviously with novella collections, it's easier to talk about each story individually because there's typically only four in King novella collections. But with the short story collections, it's been a mixed bag for me. And I honestly think that it's the novellas that really stand out for me. And, you know, to kind of talk a little more about Jesse from Gerald's game here real quick. I think, you know, cause I, I talked about her a little less than Carrie and Charlie. So got to give her a little more love here, but you know, she's a victim as a child. And, you know, there's this tie to Gerald's game and Dolores Claiborne. So you have that connection there. Cause King loves to throw in these little collect connections with his stories and while she is handcuffed to the bed you get this flashback that ties those two books together and then in the present day you know she's a victim of circumstance this didn't go as planned you know she was not being abused in this moment but then she ends up in this terrible circumstance where she is really suffering and she can't get water. She can't go to the bathroom. You know, she can't do anything pretty much. And she is just hoping that someone finds her and to be alone with your thoughts in the way that Jesse is. I think that is something that King doesn't really do on quite the same level in any of his other stories. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm actually, I really want to read um, Gerald's Game as well as Dolores Claiborne, but those are some of the ones I know the subject matter is going to be really heavy and very dark, mm-hmm. specifically Gerald's Game, that it's kind of on the back uh, burner just because my heart <laughs> is uh, very vulnerable to some of the the violence that King inflicts upon the female protagonists. And so I know... Oh, just based on what you said in, in terms of like the the suffering of the body and of the soul in that situation. Oh, that just breaks me. I'm going to do it, of course, because I want to make my way through uh, King's works for sure. But like uh, there are times when like my boundaries, I'm like, I can't. I just <laughs> I can't because he's he's so incredible with what he does. It, it really um, emotionally impacts me stronger than I'd like to admit. So I have to be pretty cautious with that. Yeah, I will say that Gerald's Game is the only book that has really had a scene in it that makes me cringe when I think about it. And because of how horrible it is, and, you know, for anyone wondering, no, I do not enjoy the orgy scene in it either. That is definitely cringeworthy, but it's a different kind of cringeworthy. You know, that one is more like, oh, King, you really should not have done this at all. Delete, delete get rid of that from the memory but right. with Gerald's game it's more like oh that was just so gruesome and you can't you know unthink it or unsee it which again same can be said for that moment in it but it's something that really affects the way you see Jesse and the story whereas in it that whole thing you're just like why why did you do this <laughs> Right. Oh my God. Yeah. That is, 
the billion dollar question, I think, among King fans. And I have my academic reasons, but then at the same time, I'm kind of like, this was the tail end of his cocaine and alcohol abuse. Maybe, maybe he was just on a bender and just went nuts and just threw it in there, kind of like Jackson Pollocked the thing, just like whipping his paintbrush around and was like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to, yeah, print. <laughs> I, it's, it's one of those questions. I, I want to, I don't know if we'll ever know, you know? <laughs> I have some questions for the editor as well. <laughs> oh my God, right? My goodness. Like, who in the hell in 1986, like, thought that would be okay? I mean, it's still horrifying to this day, but like, my goodness, I too, I too have strong questions. And I wonder if, like, was everybody on cocaine? Like, nobody was copus mentis when this went to print. It was the 80s. You never know. <laughs> totally right. My goodness. Yeah, that is the the billion-dollar king question among constant readers, I think, because uh, we, we, everyone adores it so much for the most part. Like, we just – it's on a, another level of perfection, of amazing – it's just – it's one of those books that just changes your life. And then – but yet <laughs> – after a thousand pages, this horrifying, like, oh, God, what do I do with this? What do we do with this? But, yeah, so with um, regarding Jesse from Gerald's Game, I think what, what I usually do, what I have been doing on the podcast is some of the more gruesome King stories that have a lot of victimization against women or a lot of violence or really strong subject matter – uh, Gerald's Game would be one of them, and um, uh, Dolores Claiborne, Misery. Uh, I read them in in groups. I can't read them by myself because when it gets too difficult in subject matter, I often want to quit and shelve the book because I'm just like, oh my god, my imagination does not want to be here. But I, if I have a team that I'm on reading through or powering through, whether we're doing for another podcast or any sort of team sport regarding the novel, I'll power through, but I usually need to read it in groups because I'm I'm so vulnerable to it. It's totally so, understandable, too, because he has multiple stories like that, even within novella collections. I found that Full Dark No Stars was one where it's very heavy on the victimization and violence towards women and things like that. And it's perfectly understandable when people don't want to read books like that. And, you know, I have friends who love The Dark Tower but aren't really super into horror, so they haven't really read anything else of King's. They just kind of stick with The Dark Tower. And I love that you can do that with King. You can read his big fantasy epic and not really need to read anything else. Of course, there are other books of King's that tie into the eight Dark Tower novels that he does give you, but you can kind of pick and choose. Like, you know what? I really love vampires. I'm going to read Salem's Lot and Dr. Sleep. You know, maybe you want to read The Shining if you're also going to read Dr. Sleep, but yeah. there are certain stories that King just writes that you can pull out of his bibliography, read that, put it back, and not feel the need to visit everything like I am doing. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I do love that myself. One of the reasons why I started the podcast was just because I I felt there was so much literary genius and high caliber, incredible writing that makes him one of the greatest 
fiction authors ever. And uh, I was, I kept debating with friends and getting in arguments. And so I was like, that's it. We're just going to have my own platform here. Cause that's my goal is to get some of the more snobby people who have sidelined him to maybe give him a second chance. And I all, yeah, you, you said it perfectly. I love the people that are like, I'm just a hardcore fantasy kid, bring on the dark tower, or I want all the scary stuff, or I want um, a, I want a science fiction sort of thing, or I want, you know, um, something that's about kids or about friendship and, and you can kind of cherry pick and explore these amazing titles that give so much. Um, and, and that's why I do the show is (laughs) there's so much good writing. There's so much beautiful writing for sure. Yeah, and with my three picks, you know, Gerald's game is obviously very, very different from Carrie and Firestarter, which Carrie and Firestarter are fairly close in subject matter. You have these young girls who have powers, and even though the stories are very different and how those characters are handled even is different because they do have that age difference there. You know, Gerald's game is nothing like either of those stories, yeah, um, we're, I'm so excited to see uh, how the world responds to Lisi. I really want more people to read that book because Lisi is like almost 60 years old and King kind of gives her this second life, this post-grief, post-marriage superhero kind of moment where she's victimized, but yet she stands up, she gets up, which is, I, that's the theme I absolutely adore with King characters is when they're knocked down, but they find a way to, to rise up and either get revenge or have a lot of wonderful healing time for the reader. But I love that she is a senior citizen. Like this lady has an AARP membership and I love that she's the star of our show. Um, And then with uh, Rosie from Rose Matter, she is somebody who I keep coming back to because many people argue that she's flat, like she's just this battered wife. And then she kind of gets a little bit of group support and heals up a little bit. But, um, you know, she's a little uh, mysterious at the end and just kind of the same throughout with little moments of rising above. But I kind of disagree. I think that the flatness is used in a beautiful way. And she's a little bit of like a heroine. She goes into another world. She's very brave. Um, So I I kind of like to sing a lot of praise for Rosie from Rose Matter. But Nadine is somebody – I'm going to do a big stand revisit here one of these days. I think that's like the the magnum opus in addition to a lot of King works that, you know, uh, King fans and constant readers take their time with. But I think – is the general consensus that Nadine is hated because she's the instrument of flag – in your um, understanding of her? Yeah, she's sort of this dark, mysterious figure who is trying to sabotage the good guys. And you really just have a feeling, though, that there's more to her character than you maybe see on the surface in the stand. And, you know, I actually read the edited version of the stand when I was starting this podcast, and I bought the uncut edition, whatever you want to call it later, unabridged, if you will. So 
I plan to go back and revisit that and read, you know, the full edition that has like 400 extra pages that I didn't read at the beginning. But yeah, Nadine has come across as this character who plays a pretty big role in the stand, you know, but because there are so many characters in that and because the book is so long, even then you don't get all of the information that maybe you would like out of each of these characters. Absolutely. And with her, um, and this is, I just recently watched the 2020 CBS All Access version of The Stand, which I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, I don't know if you've seen it yet. I, I enjoyed certain parts, but like I was ultimately kind of let down. But I did really enjoy actor performances and um, Amber Heard plays Nadine and she got a lot of flack for overacting or, you know, not being the kind of Nadine they wanted, all kinds of stuff, lots of problems. But it just kind of reminded me how I think um, Nadine is much more complex than just the villain who's the right hand of the devil, the right hand of flag, who uh, I don't think she was chosen um, or she didn't choose to be chosen by him and manipulated and made into a chess pawn. And, you know, she was playing this, ter- he played this terrible game with her mind about. Um, remaining virginal and pure for him but then he kind of like pimped her out to Harold and like it it was just there's a lot there and I think if we revisit that with a lens of her being maybe victimized rather than the villain rather than the treacherous manipulating presence I don't know for me I was like there's a lot more to Nadine that I would like to explore than her just being the bad guy and on the side of um flag so I uh I too need to do a huge stand reread here but um those are for my three I know there's there's a few more and I always come back to Beverly too even though um, she's not my favorite in the Losers Club. I I treasure her quite a bit. And I love that like almost every single time I mention uh, Women in King, she's, she's always there <laughs> kind of at the front. We always think about her. But I appreciate uh, this chat so much. I think we're going to get to our final sort of thoughts here in terms of Women in King and what we're hoping to see more villains um, potentially more, um, did you read the Institute yet? 2019's the Institute? I did when it first came out because I somehow convinced the publisher to send me a copy of it. I'm not really sure how I managed to do that, but I'm going to be revisiting it in probably the next three or four months for the podcast because I remember that giving me some Firestarter kind of vibes too with kids and powers and things like that, but I did not retain like any of the details now that I've gone through and like started from the beginning and been making my way through everything. Totally. That's absolutely fair. Yeah. I compared it to such like an 80s revisit. And for me, um, the Institute was just like your most favorite junk food. It was just so enjoyable and indulgent, but not not as 
fulfilling or satisfying as maybe past works, but nevertheless incredibly enjoyable. Um, totally agree with the Firestarter vibes, most definitely. But also, um, there's a lot of young women in the Institute that were incredibly yeah. special. And so um, it, it definitely gets me thinking of either more Abra Stone-esque females down the road, maybe forming a gang, <laughs> um, maybe the, forming their own X-Men group. I don't know. I think that would be amazing if we had um, uh, a female superhero troop here. I think that would be awesome. The, the, the sky's the limit. Possibilities are endless, but we will definitely have more ideas to exchange, but I so appreciate your time, Deanna. It's always nice speaking with somebody um, who is as well-read as you are and such a big fan like myself. So thank you so much for joining us. Of course, and thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I just want to give a quick shout out to the most important king lady tabitha king because without her and without carrie white we wouldn't have had as much as we have had from king oh perfection perfection couldn't agree more yes the most important king female there could ever be miss tabitha king oh my goodness yes uh you said it perfectly um all right do you want to let the audience know what you've got going on on chat cemetery and other other stuff yeah, so at the time we're recording this, I just put out an episode on the movie adaptation of A Good Marriage, and that is definitely a very female-focused story there, too. And, you know, I am going through chronologically, so it's pretty predictable as to what I have coming up next. And I'm excited to revisit some things like the 112263 Hulu series. I have read a couple of the books that I still have to read. So I'm looking forward to kind of revisiting those and see how I feel about them a second time around. And I am putting out stuff about comics and King on my YouTube channel, which is just Deanna Chapman. And Welcome to Geekdom is where I talk about like Marvel stuff, more comic book stuff there, you know. But yeah, thank you again for having me on. It's been a pleasure getting to talk to you, Kim. Yay! Thank you so much, Deanna. So hopefully we'll get to chat again soon. I would love to know your thoughts on Lisey's story, the show. So we'll have to have some, we'll have to talk, talk some shop about that one. And then, um, yeah, I love a full dark, no stars. That's one of my favorites. So good luck with that one. Good marriage. I, I enjoyed that one. There was, there was some casting stuff that I had some questions about, but ultimately that's one of my all-time favorite. That one's such a creepy one. <laughs> yeah, it so really good. is. All of those stories are a lot to take in. But yeah, and have fun with the rest of the Hodges trilogy. Uh, there's some gems specifically with Finders Keepers. I'd like to know your thoughts on that. So we will definitely chat again soon. But thank you so much, uh, everybody. Uh, say farewell with me to Miss Deanna Chapman from Chat Cemetery. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, precious listeners, that concludes my wonderful conversation with Stephen King Goddess. 
Deanna Chapman. As I mentioned in the introduction, I think this topic is huge. It's absolutely gargantuan and there are so many more ladies in the King universe that deserve spotlight and analysis and I would like to continue this conversation with many others. It is such an important topic, my friends. It's one I want to teach on, one I want to further explore, have more characters to compare and contrast. I'm so into it, especially when we start bringing in the goddesses and the female deities out there. Oh man, I cannot wait. I'm so into it. And if you're into it, I would love it if you would write in to the show at underratedsk at gmail where we can chat more Stephen King females as I would like to know who's on your list. Who do you love to love or love to hate or love to ponder? Or are there any females in some King works that you felt were just too small of characters? They needed more time on the page? I got a couple from Under the Dome. I definitely want more of. But I would love to continue this conversation with all of you guys and you can rest assured I'm going to definitely continue this topic with more King fans very soon. But until next time, please check out Chat Cemetery. I have links in the show notes. And listen to our End of Watch episode where Deanna and I talk Brady Hartsfield, Bill Hodges, Holly Gibney, and the finale of King's three-book crime fiction work. So please tune into that and let us know what you think. But overall, thank you guys so very much for listening. And if you haven't already, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a five-star and if you would be a gem, an angel, a sweet baby lamb, if you could share this show with any King fans in your life or any book fans in your life who are maybe curious about King or maybe wanting to find their way back to King, you know, you never know. Maybe they might uh, find us a little bit fun. But thank you guys once more for hanging out with Deanna and myself. Take care and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.